What's up, military millionaires? I'm your host, David Parade. Today I have a very interesting episode with Micah Rutherford, where we talk about like when when the what if happens, right? So we will talk about what happens when your property gets hit by a hurricane and you just happen to be deployed overseas 18 hours away. And there's some really cool stuff in here that I didn't even know existed uh, and some ways to really help you out if you ever find yourself in a situation like that uh, that's really scalable and a great system. So I am super glad that I got to interview Micah and uh, just hang tight. If this is your first time listening, thanks for joining the community. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment. The show notes are found at frommilitarytomillionaire.com slash podcast. Now relax and enjoy the show. You're listening to the Military Millionaire Podcast, a show about real estate investing for the working class. Stay tuned as we explore ways to help you improve your finances, build wealth through real estate, and become a person that is worth knowing. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Dave, and I'm here with Micah Rutherford, who is an Air Force pilot, and I want to say the U-28, but I don't understand enough about your airplane, so we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, Micah and I got connected through a mutual friend who I had on the show here recently, and we talked on the phone for a little while, has a pretty cool story, and I figured, well, he'd be fun to have on the podcast, and here we are. So, Micah, thanks for joining us. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks for having me. Yeah, um, so... I'm a captain of the Air Force right now. I am stationed at Herbert Field, Florida, fly a U-28, which is a um, part of Air Force Special Operations Command, uh, specializing in intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance, ISR stuff. Can't really go into too much detail about that, so we can just leave it like that. We're just, the uh, best way I describe it is a spy plane. It's a lot, good mission, a lot of fun. Uh, work with some pretty cool people. Um, joined the Air Force in uh, 2009, went to college. Uh, graduated and then went to pilot training after that and after that I was sent to Herbert Field which is where I've been since March of uh, 2015. Um, yeah after that I started doing some uh, real estate investing got connected with a couple guys out here in the squadron and they kind of uh, put a little bit of gasoline on the fire it was kind of smoldering didn't really know where to go how to start and they kind of just guided me in the right direction and uh, now here I am uh, three properties later and invited my first podcast so thanks for having me again Dave. Yeah, absolutely. So walk us through your first deal. We'll start there. Okay. Uh, first deal. Uh, first deal actually took about, if you want to count the education piece of it, about eight months. Um, I got connected with the guest you previously had, Jeremy Porto, um, and he kind of became my mentor. He guided me along. He gave me books to read, podcasts to listen to, uh, websites to go check out. And that's what I did for just eight months. I just devoured everything I could. My audio book list on my phone is like it just keeps scrolling it just doesn't stop yeah. I commute to work about 25 minutes each way so I just listen to the audiobook on one and a half or one and a quarter speed mm -hmm. and I would just crush audiobooks like once a week and so and then I would get deals I'd send them to him uh, I was signed up for multiple MLS listings from realtors out here in the area I'd see a fourplex a duplex etc pop up on the market I'd do my own analyzing send it out to uh, Porto and he would be like, eh, you missed this. Hey, that looks good. What do you think about that? And then he would just kind of guide me along the way. Well, uh, first deal came around um, and it was a fourplex and numbers were good. Um, they weren't stellar, but for a first deal, eventually you can only analyze so much and then you just got to jump in because you can analyze all day long and you get stuck in analysis paralysis and you just don't ever do anything. And I felt like I, and so did Porto too. We, I had enough knowledge to at least get started. So, uh, made an offer. I actually offered, um, 
4,000 above the asking price because there's three other competitors bidding on it as well. And uh, they accepted. And then I went through the steps of closing on any normal place. It's pretty similar to a single family home with uh, four units or less. And uh, then after that, closed 30 days later, sent it off to a property management company and the rest is history. That's awesome. So what, what do you think was your, like, was there an aha moment in there or what, what made you decide to keep going with it? I would say the aha moment is whenever you take something that's concept, like conceptualized, you just, you visualize it. You like, for example, all the analysis analysis I would do, I'd be like, Oh, it's these numbers. And then you'll be getting this much money cash flow every month. And, and the aha moment I would say is seeing that in reality. After those first couple checks started coming in from my management company, I mean, we're talking four units here, so it wasn't cash flowing like thousands of dollars, but it was definitely making a solid return every month. And I would look at that and I'm like, the realization, like from conceptualization to reality, it was, it was, that was the aha moment, I would say. Yeah, that's awesome. So I guess we can kind of, we'll kind of get into some of your other deals later, but I'm curious, uh, we were going to talk about this a little bit, but you're in an operational field that is uh, gone almost as much as your home. Uh, you're all over the place. So a lot of people, whether military or not, are turned off by the idea of what if something happens, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, what did you do to get over that that fear and the, oh man, what if, you know, because your first property, you're like, oh, I got this property and I'm gone and I might be back. And I, um, how, do, how do you get past that as a, as a young investor? I would say just doing it, honestly, just taking, just taking the leap, just jump. And that's kind of what happened. Cause after I bought that first place, it was approximately three, three and a half months later, I was on an airplane going overseas again. And while I was gone, well, leading up until that point, while I was here, most of my communication with my property management company was via email. Um, I went, I'd go to like being my first place. I drove by it one too many times a week probably they say like why is this creepy guy driving by in this truck every week because <laughs> my first property she's my baby oh, taking yeah. care of but then then that slowly died off and then i was just taking phone calls and emails from my property management company and then while before i deployed um i went in talked to my manager for that property and i was like hey man i'm deploying uh, i need you to send any communication via email and he was like yeah that not a problem at all. And most of their communication up until that point was email, unless it was just a quick, you know, phone call. Hey man, got this going on. What, what do you want me to do? So they just send me emails. They get vendor quotes. They handle the collecting the rents, uh, um, hunting down people for rents. It, it's, it makes it so much easier when you pay. It's worth it. That 10% you pay a property management company, absolutely worth it, especially when you're gone a lot. Yeah, I agree. I actually, uh, I joke about, you say driving by your property. I house hacked my first property. So I joke about the fact that it was the same thing, like wanted to micromanage or, or, or ask questions or, or what are they doing to my lawn or whatever. Uh, and then I finally move to Hawaii, which is, you know, 4,000 miles away. And I'm forced to rely on my property manager. And it's like, everybody freaks out about going long distance, but I'm so much more relaxed now that I can't look at my properties than I was when I was driving by wondering what they were doing outside or why they had this ugly tarp hanging up or, you know, stupid things like that that don't actually matter because the money's still coming in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I noticed that with my place too. There's one tenant, probably the messier one a little bit. Um, she had a boyfriend that lived there and he had a bench press machine 
one of those just old rusty bench presses that just sat in the front yard and it just drove me nuts as well as uh, they had a couple kids and um, the kids of course like kids do just leave their toys all over the yard and and everyone's standard of living or how clean or how organized they are it's different from every person and if you're a little OCD and someone else with a tenant's a little less OCD and you see that every day it's gonna drive you up the wall. And I quickly realized that I didn't have the mental capacity or the time to sit there and worry about it. Were they paying rent? Was the place on fire? Cool, I don't really care. Just pay your rent and take care of the place. That's all that really mattered. And then of course I would tell the property management company, hey, they gotta keep it a little bit cleaner, but you know, it's, and so I just stopped driving by and my life and the weight off my shoulders just lifted. I was, it was so much better. All right, so you make it past, you know, sticker shock and the initial, uh, phase of uncomfort and you go on a deployment and I'm, I'm guessing you're saving some money, you're learning some new stuff as much as you can while you're gone. But um, what, what happened next? Cause I know you've scaled a little bit since then. So we'll kind of walk a little bit farther down the story and see where we go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so came back from that deployment and um, I got a lead from a buddy and who he actually got a lead from, his um, insurance uh, company. Uh, they knew he invested in real estate. So they're like, hey, we got this place foreclosing, or excuse me, an uh, estate sale. Um, do you want it? He's like, not the right time. I don't, I'm looking to do something else. And so then he calls me and he's like, hey, there's a fourplex. Do you, do you want it? And now it's his estate sale. Uh, they're asking one, you know, 180 for it. And, I'm, and I just looked at that and I, I went over there and drove by and I was like, this place is beat up. Now I see why it's so it's so much cheaper in the area compared to other fourplexes, what they're going for. And then I did some math, did more of that analyzing and realized, uh, fix up a couple units, raise a few of the rents. Um, and then I could refinance later down the road and it's, and it's worth it. So I took the plunge on this one and this one was more of, um, not jumping into the first deal like the first one was and learning all the intricacies of that. This was more of fixing up a unit. Uh, fixing a roof and then putting money into it, uh, a decent chunk of money into it, and then doing the refinance process and pulling that out. So uh, again, I offered a little bit above because there's also competitors on it and I knew this would make make money. Um, got it. And then I fixed up two of the units and I didn't, I got a couple contractors to give me quotes at first and the quotes were insanely high, huh. insanely high. So I think part of it is they didn't really want to do that small job fix up to 850 square foot a piece units. That's they want to handle something bigger. So of course yeah. they're going to a little bit more. So I found a couple handyman to take care of the units. And then I would just go to Lowe's, use my military discount, buy all the equipment, uh, the parts, materials, everything. Uh, and then I would uh, have it ready for delivery on X day. The uh, handyman drove by and he picked it all up, took it to the place and, Started doing the work. Took a little bit longer than I anticipated because all of a sudden, hey, they missed something, forgot to order this, or hey, this needs to get fixed now. So then there's, oh goodness, probably 20 to 30 trips to Lowe's. Um, thankfully, the Lowe's was uh, pretty close to work. So on my lunch break, many lunch breaks on that hour of time, I, you know, we usually get, I'd be driving, you know, 10 minutes down the road to Lowe's, buying a bunch more stuff, uh, then right back to work. And Handyman would pick it up, go in and fix it up, and then I re-rented it and uh, refinanced it a little bit later. Uh, pulled a decent amount of the money, not all of it out, but pulled some more of the money out, and that was uh, my second deal. 
and I'm jealous. We uh, Marines are not allowed to leave base in our uniform uh, with the exception of like work and dress uniforms. So I joke about it because the Marine Corps base I'm on in Hawaii, it's very secure. And I mean, even like I had a army captain or a lieutenant come and have lunch with me once and it took him like almost 40 minutes to get through the front gate. And I didn't even think about it like, oh, he's active duty officer. He'll be fine. And no. Um, and so we almost missed lunch. And so I joke about like how terrible it is. Cause I got to, if I want to go to lunch, it's like, okay, well you can't make it on the base to see me and I have to change to go meet you and come back and change again. It's kind of a pain. So it just very rarely happens. It's, uh, and I, I, I can't even imagine I would never be able to go to Lowe's during lunch cause like, sorry, I'm stuck. Um, so that's nice. Uh, anyway, it was a lot of lunches yeah, in my car then. Yeah, that's true. And Taco Bell, and that's my crutch. Uh, yeah, for sure. Okay, so uh, how did the refinance go? Like, can you walk through kind of just broad overview of, like, you know, purchase, work, re refi, like how much you got left in it, and that kind of stuff, or? Uh, yeah, I can go into that a little bit. So I uh, bought it for about 185 and put about 25 into it. Um, I was able to fix up each of those units by doing a handyman um, pretty cheaply, but th that 25 also included a roof too. So nice. uh, I, I got it. Yeah. I got each unit done for about, uh, about seven, seven a piece. Um, I helped out a little bit with some of the demo here and there, but mostly led it to them and they were just happy for work and they did a good job. So the downside of paying seven grand for each unit, uh, which is pretty phenomenal is the uh, fact that they took a little bit longer. It was like, it was uh, a lady and uh, one of her friends. And um, so it was a little slower, but anyway, uh, bought it and then put some work money into it. And then I refinanced it um, for about, essentially what I paid plus what I put uh, the money into it. Um, so I refinanced it um, and I didn't, there wasn't a seasoning period long enough yet at that point, but I wanted to get that money out because I was ready to do another deal. Um, so um, I, the numbers kind of make a, a little bit more sense if you, but I bought it actually cash and then I um, put the money in and then I pulled about 140 or so out of it. Um, so uh, it worked out, it worked out for sure. It was, uh, like I said, a long process to have all the money tied up and yeah, but the downside I realized that too is the refinance costs kind of sneak up on you too. So I spent a decent amount in refinancing. So that's why I'm not as eager to refinance right now. I would like to, it's got a pretty good amount of equity into it, but you got to balance that because every time you refinance, that's a huge chunk of your profits that come out of your property. So yeah. Brandon Turner uh, talks about Burr a lot, buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. Um, one thing in there that needs to be addressed is refinance costs a lot of money. And if you don't put that into your analysis, it's going to bite you in the rear down the road. True. I agree. Uh, the book that just came out on that's pretty good. And it, I think it touches a little bit on that. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's definitely a cost that needs to be budgeted for, but you know, even, even with that biting you in the rear, I would still say getting 140 grand back is, is worth a little bit of a, a bite because you can go and buy another property, right? Cause it takes a little while on a military salary, even if you're deployed and tax-free to save up 140 G's. So yeah, uh, it, it, it definitely took up a while. And, uh, that's, you know, I was officer in the air force for several years for, for quite a few years, plus saving aggressively and then lots of deployments too. So there was one year I deployed and I had uh, seven months of tax-free. <laughs> yeah. Two deployments a year. Yeah, so that, yeah. 
That's awesome. I'm not gonna lie, the, the career field I'm in helps a lot when you save, yeah. especially taxes. That's another big thing. Taxes is a huge, just get it as slow as you can. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we've now got eight units. And is this where we bought the fun one? This is where we bought <laughs> fun's a very loose term, but it's, yes. It's the same kind of fun I'm going through with a lawsuit <laughs> right now. So except yours oh. is yours is probably more fun because you're you're gonna like win. I that who knows what's gonna happen with me. Uh, well, <laughs> hopefully it's all good for both of us. <laughs> <laughs> so what happened with this one? So uh <clears throat> Got back, it was another one or two deployments after that, paused again, just every time I buy a new place, it kind of stretches you a little bit. So it's like a muscle, you get stretched, work out, and you just let, let it grow a little bit, let it solidify, build your cash back up. Um, deployed, sitting there about, mm, I don't know, three weeks to a month uh, from getting home uh, into the deployment. And I'm sitting there and I'm just like itching, itching to get something else. And uh, so I didn't know what to do next. I've been looking, and this is about a year and a half ago when the market started to stagnate a little bit in the sense that everything's becoming way overpriced. People are holding on as well as everything's becoming way overpriced. So deals are hard to find. Um, so I hopped on uh, Bigger Pockets, which I'm sure a lot of us are familiar with. And uh, I just tried to expand. I'm living in the Fort Walton Beach area. So I was like, let me look down on Panama City. So I, Went over there, uh, put like the geotag for Panama City on the forum, and I looked for a, a realtor that was experienced with investors, not just for a single family, you know, home that you want to live in. I almost instantly got a reply back from a very active uh, realtor out there who also does investing himself and owns several places himself. Uh, we connected, started talking, um, got back, and we, I went out there to meet him pretty quickly. About three days after I got home from deployment, I unpacked took a day break. And then the next day I was driving out to Panama city to go look at places. So we drove around, I got to meet him, um, build the rapport. And then he showed me a 10 unit that was not on the market, but the owner was willing to sell if he got the right price. So, um, started doing due diligence, looking at the numbers, seeing what I could think it was under rented. And the, the price that he was asking for, um, was, was pretty good. It, it wasn't great by any means, but it would take a couple years. I uh, used the rent cash flow money, um, plus a little bit of the cash flow money from my other two places, excuse me. And uh, as the units came due, move the tenant out, do some basic fix ups, and then hopefully uh, refinance or sell when the balloon payment was up. Um, next step was I didn't have the cash for a commercial loan for 25%, uh, 25 to 30% them asking plus closing costs. Uh, I would have been negative, plus I wouldn't have had any um, reserves in case something happened. So I brought that up to the realtor too. I was like, man, I'd love to get this place, but I don't, I don't have the money for it. He's like, well, uh, I might know somebody. I was like, who are you? This is amazing. Um, then he brought me to a uh, private lender who owns a, uh, a tax business as well as some rental properties himself. And I just straight up told him, I was like, look, I don't have the money to have an adequate amount of reserves as well as pay for 25, 30% down. I wanted to do 10% down, 90% loan to value. He said, okay, 6% interest, two points. And I expected him to come back with, you know, at the time, seven, 8% for asking 90% loan to value on a over a half a million dollar place. And I instantly was, that was way better than I ever predicted on any of my analysis. And I instantly, I was like, done. 
And I was like, with the exception that you roll the points in them alone. And he was, okay, that works for me. So then we moved to closing, did the inspections, looked at the place. Um, it was a little bit different with a private lender because he actually wanted to be there for all the inspections. He wanted to look at himself. They wanted to be a little bit more hands-on. So it's a different aspect from dealing with the conventional bank to dealing with the private lender. They're a little bit more involved and it's not a good or a bad thing. It's what it is. And so that was a learning experience right there. So got that place and then went on another deployment right as Hurricane Michael hit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was a good time. Uh, Hurricane Michael hit when I was uh, over the middle of the North Atlantic on my way to uh, Afghanistan. And I land and I'm instantly trying to connect to any Wi Fi. If any one of you guys have been to Afghanistan, you know it's uh, kind of sporadic in places. Oh, yeah. So, no, the Wi Fi is great. Yeah, best, it's amazing. Best service ever. <laughs> So here I am dragging my bag around and running around with my chip, like I had my chicken, like chicken with my head cut off, trying to in process as well as find any form of Wi-Fi because I need to know what's going on. I'm like worried. I'm freaking out a little bit because I've only owned this place um, a little under a year now when it hit. And uh, yeah, found out damage was pretty bad. So then the next step was the whole insurance process. And that, that was a pretty big headache right there too, which is still ongoing right now, uh, getting the repairs and the insurance money. But uh, um it was different. It was very different buying that place because the private lender aspect of it, as well as just finding a deal completely off market. Like up until that point, <clears throat> you always hear people look off market, look off market. And most people are like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do that. And it's as simple as just hopping on a forum or calling people that are realtors in town. Cause that's all this guy was. And he was just very active and knew the town very well. And that's how the deal fell in my lap. Yeah. So. Or property managers, or you'd be amazed where you can find them. The cool thing when you're dealing with like a property or a private money lender and off-market deals is that the sky's the limit for what you can come up with, right? Like he could have said 0% interest and 10 points or zero points and 45% like whatever, you know, and it's like, okay, well that works or that doesn't. Um, I actually kind of like the fact that like when they're a little bit more, if people are a little more involved in the property, cause it's like, okay, well, I was happy with all this, but if that guy also thinks it's a good deal, like makes you feel a little bit better inside, I guess. Um, Absolutely. Or maybe they catch something, but uh, yeah, that's cool. You were able to find this off market and get introduced to, you know, a private money lender all in, all in one. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. And you're right. Like it's, it's good. Cause like, obviously I don't have the experience he does back in 2006, 2005 um, him and his dad were, building houses and selling them nonstop. He's actually has a podcast on bigger pockets, um, but they were just doing it. They're just going crazy. And so they've had the experience of years of building houses, selling houses, um, owning rental properties, as well as uh, they know the tax, the tax law pretty well. Cause they are consultants for that. Yeah. So whenever I would, whenever I do something or go for the plan, it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a, breather like a little bit of a, a safety net when you know that they're agreeing with you and they're and they're not you know pushing back or anything like that because they have years of experience compared to me uh, who has if you count my eight months of education probably about three um so it's 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 a it's a nice comfort for sure yeah all right so the hurricane hits obviously you're still kind of dealing with this so we don't want to get into the weeds too much um and obviously you couldn't predict a hurricane but is there anything through that process that you've learned that might be helpful to other people so far 
I know it's kind of a weird situation because, again, you can't predict that that's going to happen. But yeah, I would say if you live on a coast and they say a hurricane can hit, you know, a hurricane can hit. I mean, the world is statistics. If the odds of something happening are going to happen, well, then eventually at some point it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, odds are a hurricane is going to hit the Gulf Coast at some point in my investing career, more than likely. It's sure hopefully not again. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully not again. But it hits sooner rather than later. Luckily, like I said, I had I, I made sure I had enough reserves um, for this place. But hurricane hit. Um, I would say up until the point, like all the education and reading and mentor mentor discussions I've been having up until this point were on finding a deal, managing a deal, uh, repairs, that kind of stuff. Very little of it up to this point, outside of just making sure I had good coverage, good insurance coverage. Uh, that was about all that I ever did for insurance wise. I made sure I had good coverage. Uh, I made sure it was at an affordable price that made sense with my cash flow model. Um, the intricacies of dealing with a claim though can be a pain, like a huge pain, not just a simple at a fender bender. They call, okay, they took, you know, took liability. Here's your check. Go fix your car. Now this is like, they will come back at you every step of the way, trying to knock stuff off. Like, Oh, we don't think that's worth that. Um, this, no, that wasn't even damaged by the storm. So they're going back and forth like that. Uh, combined with, I just arrived in Afghanistan and I wasn't there at all. So I ended up uh, using a, a public adjuster. And for those of you that don't know, a public adjuster is essentially a go-between between the um, insured and the insurance company. And they charge a fee, uh, usually around 10% of the total claim they get. Um, the upside to that is that they were, he was very able to, very helpful going into the property and getting as much out of the property as possible uh, for the claim. Because if you think about it, an insurance adjuster uh, or a public adjuster and yourself, you're on the same side. And the more money that you can get to fixing the property is a benefit to you as well as it's a benefit to him. So you guys are on the same team trying to get um, the maximum for your claim. Um, so I hired a public adjuster and uh, that actually took a, a bit of the burden off because then he would give me regular updates via email, um, was able to wrangle up a phone and call him once or twice. That was pretty difficult, but it was doable. Um, you just me, trying to get him to answer a phone call that's got like 15 phone numbers ringing through. It had like, yeah, like 15, 16 digits that it was rooted through. I don't know where, I don't know what they yeah. call it. They're the super phone. sketchy when you call from a sat phone. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was different, but um, yeah, a lot, a lot of it over email and he took care and like, he took care of a lot of stuff. Uh, you had to get a con like something like, like, like as simple as to get more money for the claim instead of just having a guy that someone from the insurance company walk in and look at all the damage to wet walls and messed up floorings and broken windows. If you get a contractor that goes in there and mitigates the place, takes out the wet drywall, sees what's behind it, gets moisture readings, um, then you open it up and you see even more damage, uh, i.e. frame rot, um, et cetera, et cetera. Just more damage is opened up when you get a contract in there. Obviously, you have to pay the contractor for mitigation. But when we did that, um, we noticed the, the amount of the claim went way up because the damages that are hidden by a lot of that stuff is not available. So it's just little things like that throughout the whole process that you're just not aware of. Um, so it was definitely a, and is still a huge learning experience going through the insurance claim portion, which is kind of like, it's made me, I'm about to deploy again, actually here in <laughs> two days. So, uh, well, a couple of books I bought beforehand, uh, grabbed a couple insurance books. I don't 
not sure if they're gonna be any good or not, just kind of read up more on insurance and how that process works. Cause I realized very quickly that that was a weak spot in the foundation of my education. So it's, it's, it's different for sure. Well, I'm really glad I asked that question because I had never heard anyone talk about a public adjuster and it sounds exactly like having a property manager or it's like anything in life, right? You either, you either deal with it and you get what you get or you pay for expertise or, or time or whatever. And as long as that person's good at their job, it'll pay off. But like a lot of people would say, Oh man, 10% of the claim, I'm not paying that. Like this schmuck wants too much money. But the reality is you're going to end up getting back more using him and paying him that 10% than you would have going in blind and letting, you know, cause realistically the insurance company is uh, they're, they're good at their job. And they're going to get what they, you know, what they want out of it. If you don't know what you're doing and you're far away. Um, and so I've, I've had a, I had a guy who was on his deathbed and decided to move out of my place who like took his U-Haul through uh, probably about seven feet of my roof. Um, and then tried to like, just backed, like backing up. And instead of backing up on the sidewalk, he backed up through the roof, uh, like the whole overhang over like three units with witnesses and I've got like police reports, description, you know, that was my neighbor. I saw him. I know him. License plate, U-Haul, like everything. And it still took seven months. And they were like, no, no, uh, that guy didn't borrow a vehicle from us. And I'm like, okay, well, uh, but you filed an insurance claim to fix your vehicle. So you know which vehicle, you know the damage is consistent with what I'm saying. So whoever did take out the vehicle, like, you know, you caused this damage. It was a mess. Um, yep. And I can only imagine how much worse that would be with something like a hurricane. So I didn't know about a public adjuster. That's huge. Because uh, that'll, somebody listening to this is going to have an issue at some point, you know, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. That's going to save them a ton of time, a ton of headache, and, and honestly, bring them in a lot more money. Yeah, absolutely. Um, at first, I was very hesitant because 10% is, that, yeah. that could add up to be a lot of money very quickly. Um, but I was kind of pushed into that decision. I'm a very do-it-yourself, obviously, with the fix-up that I did. I did a lot of that myself with the help of, I mean, the managing it of myself. Um, so at first, I was very hesitant. I actually sat on this decision for like three or four days, just sitting there. Wasn't sure if I wanted to do it or not. And then I was finally decided, I was like, I still have months here. I, I can't sit on this, and I can't manage a claim without being there, and I have to do this. And I, of course, did a bunch of research online, read about public adjusters, and then you hear the good stories and the bad stories, public adjusters taking you to lunch, public adjusters did this for me, and they, they did amazing. Um, the bottom line is that like, insurance is, it's very, the, the law as well as the policies are very well written to protect the insurance company. It's, the law maybe not as much, but like the policies, you have to find your, and fight through every little loophole and, and area of it. So having that guy there, he was able to help a lot with the process. Um, and he's still doing that now too, because the insurance company didn't still hasn't paid enough. They gave a huge, uh, initial stuff, just a, a, a check to get me to go away, but they didn't pay for everything. There's so we're submitting supplements and it's so, it's so easy with the public adjuster, especially if I'm gone a lot, especially for military that are gone a lot, having good help, having good people that can help you out is uh, like that is the foot stomp of, of what I'm trying to say is to have good help because you can't be there for all of that. And I would put, and if I had done like two or three insurance claims prior to this, I'd be like, okay, I can probably learn from trial and error a little bit, but 
first claim deployed, yeah, hire a public adjuster. Well, and the reality is, and we say we say you can't handle all this while you're away. Uh, the reality is that in a lot of these situations, you shouldn't handle it even if you're there because, and us service members have this pride thing that likes to get in the way of a lot of our uh, life decisions. <laughs> um, and so I, I say this out loud, knowing full well that I would be a victim of this. Had I been in Springfield and that happened, uh, obviously if a hurricane hits Missouri, I've got much bigger problems, but let's say tornado, that's realistic. Uh, and something like that happens, I'm gonna try to fix it. And the reality is that I would miss out on a ton and get super fired up and probably have a heart attack trying to fight this insurance company when I could just say, here you go, this is your lane. Um, and, and that's, a lot of times the best way to do it, even if you can physically handle it yourself. Uh, so I think it just, I'm just glad that I heard you say that because now I know, hey, this guy exists and I need to use him if something happens because that's huge. Small stuff, like I probably wouldn't hire a public adjuster, but big yeah. stuff like a, like a hurricane knocking out a 10 unit, out 100%. They, yeah, you're, you're right. And a lot of us military guys are just do it yourself, do it yourself. You know, you, push through anything that I was about to tell you, you can just, you know, just a little bit of sweat and blood and you're fine. You're good. Just go. Yeah. And it doesn't always work like that. No, it's <laughs> not scalable either. Not at all. And you got to decide like, how much is your time worth? Is it worth the four or five calls a day? It's like, no, my primary job is to be a pilot and go fly and deploy. Like that's my commitment. That's what I signed up for. This is, this is a side, this is a side business right now that I hope to scale enough that when I'm done with the Air Force, I can easily transition into this as my backup. So yeah, it's the time management and finding people to help you with that. Yeah, I found the easiest way to improve my income with real estate is to not be involved. Because, you know, people joke about, like you say, what's your time worth? Well, let's say I make, I don't know, we'll say 1500 because it's a nice round number in cash flow this month. And I spent one hour balancing my book. Well, I just made $1,500 a month in real estate or $1,500 an hour. So the moment I now spend three hours, I just cut my salary, you know, 30%. And so, or 90, 70, 70%, whatever the math is on that, whatever way the percentage goes. Um, and that's, that's huge. And when you start thinking of things in that time or in that regard, like how much is my time worth? How much is, you know, like I, I hired someone to help me with insurance because it's just not my expertise and I got a better deal and now I can just not deal with anything. Um, yep. And, you know, you got to find someone you trust, but little things like that where you hire a professional, you know, they're there for a reason. And as long as they're good at their job, they're going to make your life easier. Oh, 100%. Yep. They will. That, that's, that's the name of the game is just, it's so hard to when you're OCD or you're like very, want to be very hands on, just taking almost a, a, just a back step and just saying, yeah, just terrible. let it do its thing. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. I, I got to learn this the hard way as well. You learned it through an insurance claim. I learned it through a deal that went south that I'm, you know, in litigation over now, but I had a property manager who, I, I mean, I wouldn't have even known half the stuff was going on without her. Uh, and I had to rely on her. And, you know, I said, I super stressed about all kinds of stuff there, but had I been in town, it would have been so much worse. I probably would have lived in the property. Um, yeah. And that would not have worked out. So, all right, well, we're going to kind of roll into some of the questions I normally ask and okay. uh, then we'll, we'll wrap this up. And uh, first one I like to ask is if an E1, E2 or, you know, 18, 20 year old youngster uh, walked up to you asking you for advice and you only had a few minutes to give them, what would you tell them? Uh, absolutely. Just read, 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 read Do, or audiobook. Just devour as much 
education does not require as much time from mentors without being rude or taking too much of their time as possible. Um, essentially, like what kind of a, something I live by is don't reinvent the wheel. One, I'm not smart enough to reinvent the wheel. Someone else has already done what I've done before. Just find their wheel, steal it, and then modify it or copy it, not necessarily steal it, copy that. That idea, that technique, that plan, um, copy that. And then you modify and tweak it to however you want to operate or how you, which direction you want to go. You don't have to start from scratch. Someone else has already done this. That's why there's books out there. That's why there's people out there that are doing it. So don't just start and avoid. Go find somebody, go read a book. And just bow as much as you can. You'll read a pretty terrible book here or there, a fake, a fake real estate investor that's just trying to make a quick buck on a book. Um, just throw that one away, burn it, and then move on to the next one. And post all over the world about that book so that other people oh, can yeah. read it. Yep. Yeah. It's probably gonna be a good book if it's been talked a lot about by word of mouth. If it's advertised a lot, yeah. Take it or leave it. Yeah, I do like uh, weekly book reviews and I, I always joke, you know, and you're hearing about this book, which means it's probably worth reading in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> one of these days I'm going to do a, you know, instead of like a little two minute review, I'm going to do like a 10 minute review and just be like, you never heard about this book. Here's why. Yeah. <laughs> and just yeah. go through like three or four books. Uh, there's one that's on the Marine Corps reading list, the, you know, the Commandant's reading list. I've read a lot of them and they're really good, but there is one and I'm not going to name it on here, but it is like the worst, but everyone I talk to, I'm like, just don't read that book off that list. Like just, there's no value out of it. It's super hard to read. Don't yep. touch. Uh, and yeah, anyway. there's always one book like that for sure. Yeah, I digress. And what's funny is you remember more about those books than you do the ones that are good. Cause you're like, Oh, why am I wasting my time with this? Yep. It's like, it's so bad. I remembered every bit of it. <laughs> I like the latest season of Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> oh, you know, I have not ever watched a an episode of that. And I told myself when it was over that I'd probably go back and watch it just to see what all the fuss was about. Because uh, I do like TV, but I don't like to, you know, be bound to when the show comes on. Right. I don't know if I'm going to do that now because everyone was so mad about the ending that I'm like, okay, well, I'll just avoid wasting that many hours of my life. Yeah. So, <laughs> Probably a smart choice. <laughs> Read a real estate book instead. <laughs> All right. So I like to ask this question. Now I'm going to preface it that I don't believe the military is responsible for teaching you about this, but I like okay. to ask nonetheless, what is one thing you wish the military had taught you or, or maybe not the military, but life had taught you about uh, real estate investing or finances earlier in your life or career? Mm. That's, that's kind of a can of worms right there. But, uh... <laughs> and, and the reason I preface it is because every time I don't preface it, they're like, well, I don't believe the military is responsible for, I know, I get it. It's yeah, yeah. a fun question. <laughs> Honestly, I think uh, starting at an earlier age, uh, I, got, I got lucky. Uh, my mom and dad were um, pretty, pretty diligent about finances. Um, they weren't wealthy or anything, but they were just middle-class American. Um, but they taught me how to balance a checkbook, keep a budget, put some money in savings, um, spend below your means. Um, they taught me all those basics, those, those basics that you should get while you're growing up, which was good. It gave me the foundation to stand on. But then after that, college, um, extracurricular, like school in the military, like zero education about finances. They teach you about, oh, here's a stock market. This is kind of what a stock is. This is, you know, a, you know supply demand curves, stuff like that. They don't really teach you realistic stuff about it. Um, I got all that education out of a book and talking to a mentor. So to answer your question, what I, I wish they would have taught me earlier was, well, all that stuff I spent eight months reading about, 
obviously you have to have an interest on that. You can't make everyone do that. But just as general, it's like this, this, I would say the school and the colleges in these, in the country are very bad about teaching people basic economics. Like it's horrendous how bad they are. Kids come out of college with zero clue how to balance a budget. It's, 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 it's something that is very much lacking. So uh, it's definitely something in part to peers uh, and anyone else that will ask and try to get that. So I don't know, to answer your question, it's kind of hard <laughs> to, yeah. earlier in my career. <laughs> I don't really know other than yeah. wish I'd figured all this stuff out earlier because then I'd be X amount of year, more years ahead of where I am right now. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's see. We'll, we'll jump to this guy. What is, uh, what's one resource, book, course, website, whatever, that you would recommend to anybody getting started in real estate? Hmm. I know you just mentioned you read like a hundred books a day. So no, no, not that much. <laughs> no. I would say uh, I started off actually kind of a stereotypical, but I started off with rich dad, poor dad. Um, he's good. He has good books. Um, he teaches more about context versus content. I.e., context is more of like expanding your mind to be able to handle uh, situations, money, um, and then content is more of the actual meat and potatoes of how to do something so i'm glad i started off with him because he started out expanding my abilities like hey don't think in like fives and tens and thousands of dollars start thinking in hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars and when you start thinking about that that amount of money it's the same principle to 10 million dollars for handling that money and getting a return on that as it is to ten dollars so he's just like reading the rich dad poor dad books i read most of them not all of them um but they expanded my context and he, he gives an example which is stuck with me to this day is context is like a glass of water and then money is like the water if your glass is only so big you can only handle so much money before you don't know how to handle it anymore uh the content is how to get that water into your glass so and the bigger your context is the bigger your understanding the ability to handle more money um the more you can handle and then you find then you get the content so figure out the context first read those books on like how to handle money and then change your mindset on that and then get the money. Um, prime examples, you see real estate, not real estate, lottery winners that win the lottery. And, you know, two months later, they lost $300 million and they don't know where it went. How do you lose that much money in less than a year? Because yeah. their context is not there. And they're often worse off than they started. Yep. That's yeah, nuts. Yeah. I, I was writing an article today and I used another one of my, favorite rich dad quotes about the, instead of asking, or instead of saying, I can't afford X, you know, asking, how can I afford X? And I explained why that, I, I, yeah, his mindset, the mindset shift that comes from reading rich dad, poor dad is, you know, whether you agree, you know, people argue till they're blue in the face about whether his story is true or accurate, or I, I say, who cares whether he manufactured the entire thing and the whole thing is a lie. The point of the book and the mentality that it is designed to teach. Like I would almost argue that that is more brilliant if that's really the case that he manufactured <laughs> this and was able to come up with such a great story to tell in order yep. to get his point across. I would almost argue that's, that I'm more impressed by that than if he actually lived this life. Uh, but the, the mindset that that book will put you in, like I, I tell it, I hand that book out. I have a copy, I guess it's in my backpack right now because I just got it back from someone else. But I have a physical copy that I've actually not read that one. That book itself has only been handed out to people. It's like yeah. every time I get it back, I'm like, here, you read this now. Yeah. Um, 
anyway. it's a great book. It gets you fired up. It gets you just the initial Rich Dad, just the first one. The, the, like the first yeah. one's great. It's probably my favorite still to this day. It just gets you fired up. It gets your context going, and it, and it starts at like you don't know what you don't know until you don't until you like come across it, and that kind of starts opening those doors. Like, hey, I don't really know about this. I don't know about that. And so, controversy or not, it, it's a great starter book for sure. Absolutely. All right. Uh, before we wrap this up, anything you'd like to add? Any uh, big ideas or parting advice? Mm, I don't know. I kind of talked a lot. I think I'm kind of parting advice out right now. But I just right. honestly, I've kind of kind of said a lot. Is just like read honestly, and I've kind of got kind of bad at that. I've kind of got into a lull a little bit because I'm dealing with stuff. So I uh, got myself three or four books. I'm taking on this next deployment with me. Get back into that reading habit because something will sneak up on you. Like for example, insurance that you realize you probably wish you had read a little bit more about it. So, and unfortunately no. that and taxes, which are probably the most important are the worst subjects to read about. Yeah. Pretty dull. Both of them very <laughs> dull, but it's something that's part of this business and you got to be good at it. Agreed. All right. Uh, if, if anybody wanted to reach out and follow up and ask some questions, do you have anywhere that they could get a hold of you as our best way to contact you or should we keep it super squeaky quiet and you don't exist to the world? <laughs> Not that secret. Uh, I don't have any social media uh, for real estate or anything like that. I just have my normal stuff. If you're willing to, you can follow me. You can reach out to me on those. You reach out to me via email. Um, if you want to, uh, just uh, it's johnmr711 at gmail. If you have a question, just hit me up. I will talk to you about real estate so I'm blue in the face. Um, if you want to follow me on one of my social medias, just creep on me, Micah Rutherford. You should be able to find me. And you can just hit me up on one of the private messengers um, for those. So no podcast or anything for you to follow, but I'll talk to you about real estate. If you want to get a hold of me, I'll link to all that below. Uh, I think that what'll be really exciting is, you know, once this whole insurance thing is, is, is done, I'd be interested to hear how that pans out. And if there's any other stuff that you learned, cause that, uh, that public adjuster tidbit, that's something, I mean, I've done, you know, probably 40 podcasts now, actually when the time of this airs, it'll be 45 or 50 and nobody's ever mentioned that. Uh, and that's, that's huge. Yeah. Well, it's probably maybe a good thing I had to mention. Too. Say, maybe that's because they haven't had a, you know, 10 unit hit by a hurricane. Yeah. Um, yeah. But <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're definitely going to talk about that more in the future. Or if anyone wants to reach out to me and ask me about that, if you're going through that, just hit me up and um, I'll definitely go into that. But obviously it's still ongoing. So I don't want to go into too much detail about some of that stuff, but when it's all said and done, put away, I parted my ways and everything. I'm definitely willing to go into it with more detail for sure. Awesome. Well, Micah, thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from military millionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.